The verses that God has blessed us with today, John 12, 1-11. Six days before Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, home of Lazarus, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Lazarus and his sisters hosted a dinner for him. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who joined him at the table. Then Mary took an extraordinary amount, almost three-quarters of a pound, of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She anointed Jesus' feet with it, then wiped his feet dry with her hair. The house was filled with the aroma of the perfume. Judas Iscariot, one of the disciples, the one who was about to betray him, complained, This perfume was worth a year's wages. Why wasn't it sold and the money given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. He carried the money bag and would take what was in it. Then Jesus said, Leave her alone. This perfume was to be used in preparation for my burial, and this is how she has used it. You will always have the poor among you, but you won't always have me. Many Jews learned that he was there. They came not only because of Jesus, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. The chief priests decided that they would kill Lazarus too. It was because of Lazarus that many of the Jews had deserted them and come to believe in Jesus. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. One of the interesting things about this story is that there is some variation of it found in each of the gospel writers' accounts. The writers, though, place it at different places in Jesus' ministry. The home in which this encounter happens differs, and the woman involved is sometimes a sinful woman, perhaps Mary Magdalene, or Mary the sister of Lazarus, or she is an unnamed woman. The folks around the table differ in the telling. Simon, a Pharisee, Judas. But the focus, the focus in the story is always on the woman and Jesus. Today we focus on John's telling of this familiar story. Just prior to today's reading, we learned that Jesus is clearly a wanted man. John 11:57 says, The chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that anyone who knew where he was should report it so they could arrest him. You see, Jesus has recently gone to his friend's house, and there he found Lazarus dead and in the tomb for four days. But he calls the stinking dead man out, and Lazarus is alive again. Think of the attraction that caused. Jesus was already surprising and awing people with his healings, his teachings, and now this. People, good Jews, were beginning to follow this itinerant preacher, this prophet, and the religious leaders were none too happy about it. So if they could, they would stop him before he came to Jerusalem for the Passover and quietly, quietly take care of this troublemaker. Remember that Jesus has set his sights on Jerusalem, the city that kills prophets. He knows that he is heading toward trouble, but he also knows that this showdown must happen. He has come with a message from God, and he will live to tell it. He will live it, he will tell it, he will die if he must. And odds are, odds are he's going to die. 
Now we find him back at the home of his friends, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary, and Bethany, not far from his destination. In just six days, he plans to eat the Passover meal with his disciples in Jerusalem. Now, however, he's enjoying a meal with his friends and his disciples. Perhaps Jesus is hoping for one last happy, relaxed time before the beginning of the end. Next Sunday, we will celebrate his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. But we will also review the events of that week, the passion of the Christ, the suffering and death of Jesus. I wonder, however, if any of them there that evening are able to ignore the elephant in the room. Jesus has basically drawn a target on his back, and they know it. They all know it. In fact, they are asking for trouble themselves, knowing where Jesus is and not reporting it to the authorities. Death hangs in the air, dampening their spirits. And I suspect that anxiety is high. Will Jesus, the conquering hero, triumph when he gets to Jerusalem? Call down an angel army and free the Hebrew people from the oppressive rule of Rome? Or will the religious rulers win, silencing yet another of those who speak God's truth to a corrupt, twisted faith system? We don't know what's going through the minds of those in the room with Jesus that day, except for Mary. Mary makes her thoughts perfectly clear. Mary, Mary loves Jesus. He has brought life to her home again. He has spoken words that she needed to hear, words about her worth as a beloved child of God, about a God who is prodigal in love, grace, mercy, and blessings, about a new way of being and living. So out of gratitude to this Holy One, she gives a gift that is hard for the others to understand, or at least hard to accept, hard to watch. Mary responds to our prodigal God with her own prodigal actions. Mary has watched Jesus time and time again violate common custom and common wisdom. He has defied the norms, called out the religious leaders rather than quietly accepting their words. He's even done things that were taboo in his place and time. And so Mary, on this day, does the same. She enters a room full of men with her hair down, something respectable women of the day wouldn't dream of doing, and she kneels at Jesus' feet, acting as if she has every right to be there. She has, after all, sat at those feet listening and learning, and she touches him. Again, a no-no. And Jesus allows it all to happen. Then she does the most amazing thing. She pours out a very expensive ointment on Jesus' feet. And she anoints him. Now, anointings were basically for either a coronation or a burial. By anointing his feet and not his head, she is basically acknowledging that death is imminent. She is preparing Jesus for his death and burial. She alone, it seems, 
is able to understand and accept what is coming. And she wants Jesus to know that she goes with him, supporting, loving, encouraging him to do what must be done. John says the perfume of that ointment filled the room. I wonder what memories that smell brought to the mind of those gathered there that day. You know, scientists tell us that odors or aromas are probably the most powerful agents at evoking memories. You know it. You smell something and suddenly you're back there in that wonderful or not so wonderful situation. Your beloved's perfume, cologne, your Nana's homemade bread baking, the pine saw your mom used, the smoke of the fire pit around which your family laughed and told stories. One whiff and you're suddenly back there again. Perhaps Lazarus' sisters are suddenly taken back to his death and burial, but they look over and they see him smiling, eating, and they wonder at it all. Perhaps burial ointment takes on a whole new meaning because of this Jesus and the wonderful God he embodies. It occurs to me that Jesus will wear that aroma throughout his final days and even there on the cross. People didn't bathe daily back then, so that ointment would linger, reminding everyone who met him or stayed near him that death was indeed coming. Yet they trusted that God would somehow, some way, make right the situation and make it good for all. They didn't know how that could possibly be, but Jesus has said he trusted God, and so would they. Well, most of them, but not Judas. Judas had probably already given up on Jesus by this point. He wasn't the mighty warrior that Judas the zealot had hoped for. He was probably already trying to spot the real Messiah, not this one that so many had mistakenly thought was the one. Judas is appalled by Mary's behavior. He may even believe that Jesus is getting what he deserves with death. He's upsetting the apple cart, putting them all in danger, doing crazy things and getting people all whipped up into a frenzy. Who needs a guy like that around? And Judas asks a very sensible question. It's one that many of us would likely ask because we're frugal, practical people. Why did she waste this expensive ointment when it could have been sold and the money used to care for the poor? The big problem, John tells us, is that Judas' question lacks sincerity. You see, Judas is the treasurer for the group, but he has been dipping his hand into the common purse. This new money would have been another opportunity for him to profit personally. He wasn't interested in the poor. He just learned to talk the talk while undermining Jesus and all that Jesus stood for. Jesus basically says, look, Mary is the only one who has actually had the nerve to be truthful about what's going to happen. You will have time enough to care for the poor. He's basically reminding them here of the commandment in Deuteronomy 15, 11. Poor persons will never disappear from the earth. That's why I'm giving you this command. You must open your hand generously to your fellow Israelites, to the needy among you, and to the poor who live with you in your land. And I wonder if this isn't also aimed at Judas too, to say, I know who you really are, Judas. Quit pretending. Mary 
Mary has acknowledged the pall of death that hangs in the air. And the season of Lent is a time for us to do the same. Before we can celebrate Easter, we must acknowledge this, that human sin brought death to the Son of God. Before we can truly celebrate Easter, we must put to death some of the things in us that need to die. Before we can celebrate Easter, we must admit that we prefer to skip Good Friday and go straight to Lily's eggs, butterflies, and bonnets. Mary suggests that we must each follow Jesus to the cross and to the grave. And she goes with him. Her perfume, her love, her support, her devotion. She goes with him all the way to death and to resurrection. May we be like Mary. Thanks be to God. Amen.